Hello, Climate Ready listeners. It's me, Ingrid Timbo, one half of the Climate Ready host team. Today's episode is a little bit different than our usual setup, where I'm joined by my colleague and co-host, Alex Maroner. For this COP26 miniseries, we had to do a bit of divide and conquer, with Alex covering our interviews about the new UNFCCC Adaptation Academy, and me covering our interviews with government representatives. So with that small caveat, let's dive right into my interviews with Egypt's Dr. Iman Suleiman and Costa Rican Vice Minister Cynthia Barzuna, who joined me over Zoom to talk about their plans for COP26 and how their countries are leading the way on water and climate adaptation. listeners, and welcome to another mini episode of the Climate Ready podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us from Egypt to talk about Egypt's national adaptation priorities, including on water and how her country is preparing for the upcoming UN Climate Conference. Dr. Iman Suleiman is the head of the planning sector in the Egyptian Ministry of Water Resources and Irrigation and is joining us today from Cairo, Egypt. Uh, Ahlan Usahlan, welcome to Climate Ready, Dr. Iman. Uh, Ahlan, Miki, I'm, I'm happy to, with, to be with you today to talk about uh, Egypt and our effort in uh, climate adaptation. Perfect. So to kick us off from this perspective of your country, why is it so important to include water at the center of climate planning? To be uh, honest with you, Egypt is a very scarce country and we are in hyper-arid area. Uh, we have rarely rainfall uh, in, uh, in winter. We depend mainly on the Nile water uh, resources and our share, which is 55.5 from the Nile River. And we have a small amount of uh, groundwater, which is non-renewable and fossil water. The, the overall amount of Egypt is about 60 billion cubic meters. And any increase of temperature, any change in the, uh, the flow to Egypt will cause a lot of impact on uh, the population. Actually, our water demands uh, reach about 134 billion cubic meters per year. So we already overstressed country. Uh, uh, the change in the, uh, the temperature, the increase in temperature will uh, impact and affect the agriculture sector, increasing the water demand and water duties for the uh, crop uh, needs. And also any change in the precipitation in the upper Nile and any decrease of the Nile flows will impact the whole population in Egypt. Most of our people depend on uh, the agriculture sector and uh, we already expect if any increase in temperature and decrease in water availability will impact the water quality, which impact our life. We are the highest country in the Africa, depending on the water use. Uh, also, we, uh, in other areas, if we have any extreme weather events, it causes a lot of damage. However, there are a small amount of water coming in a short time, but it causes a lot of damage. And we already received two extreme weather events within the five last years. Uh, one of them is hit uh, the Western Delta and causes a lot of uh, damage. On the other hand, uh, the northern part of uh, Egypt is impacted with the increase of uh, the level rise. 
and which uh, affect the, the coastal areas. Uh, also, uh, impact on the groundwater, the shallow groundwater uh, getting more saline. So we have seawater intrusion. We have damage on the coastal area. A lot of protection we already did, but uh, if we receive more uh, increase in the uh, sea level rise, it sure it will impact on different ways. So Egypt is too vulnerable to uh, the climate and too impacted especially on the core of the sector that will be impacted is the water sector, which is touching uh, the whole population. We are uh, 100 uh, million Egyptian live in, in that country. So uh, all the people will be affected with the climate change. Yeah, you mentioned a number of really good examples there. And I think you've painted a picture showing how, how impacted Egypt already is and will continue to be from climate change. One of the things on this podcast then, you know, talking, talking about sectors, the water sector included, you know, we talk a lot about the need for really cross-sectoral or intersectoral planning because you mentioned multiple hazards, right? You have on the one hand droughts happening that are more prolonged, more intense, more variable, but at the same time, you're also experiencing flash flooding. And so we kind of have these multiple hazards, multiple risks. Can you talk briefly maybe about an example of an adaptation intervention that Egypt has recently implemented to address some of these multi-hazard challenges? Yeah, uh, actually, as I mentioned, uh, the drought is the most uh, important impact on uh, the water resources. We as a country started to have a lot of activities to uh, adapt ourselves uh, to avail more water for some activities. We have a mega project called Bahar Ba'al Drain, where we have uh, good coordination and cooperation among five ministries. We have Ministry of Water Resources and Ministry of Agriculture, Ministry of Housing, Ministry of Health, and also, uh, also Ministry of Environment. They are cooperating to have uh, the very successful and the biggest project in reuse in Africa and even on the world. We have uh, a treatment planet for the agricultural drainage water where we the capacity of this planet is about 5.6 million cubic meters per day. This amount of water uh, will be used for cultivation and as a complementary uh, water resources for agricultural projects suffering from some water uh, shortage. So this is an example of multi-sectorial cooperation. Also for the coastal shore protection, we have a good mechanism and we have a joint committee between all ministries to uh, review any uh, new development in the coastal area and to assure the protection of uh, those areas before the implementation. And actually, uh, we have a big project from uh, financed from the Green Climate Fund with low-cost technologies and some uh, methods environmentally friendly. And this is a successful project where we have uh, coordination between Ministry of Irrigation, Ministry of Environment, and also all uh, local authorities to coordinate and to cooperate on the protection of the coastal areas. So Egypt is trying to have an institutional mechanism for coordination in different areas where we have the climate is appear. We have 
uh, institutional arrangement to assure that the adaptation uh, intervention will be fully utilized and fully benefit for the stakeholders and for beneficiaries. You mentioned something really key there because we do, you know, we talk a lot about the need for more coordination between different ministries, but that necessitates having an actual mechanism there that facilitates that conversation and that dialogue and that the ability for the different ministries to work together. So I think that's something I think a lot of countries could potentially learn about from Egypt of how you put this mechanism in place to to actually facilitate this cross-sectoral work because it's so important. But it's often, you know, we hear time and time again, well, yes, we would like to work with our colleagues in the planning ministry, or we would like to work with our colleagues in, in the environment ministry. But the way that, that the government is set up, it makes it very difficult to actually do that. And so having something in place to, to facilitate that work, I think, is really key and critical. And it's kind of missing um, in a lot of places. So I would love to do a follow-up at some point and maybe dive into how that got set up, how, how you were able to put that in place, because I think, yeah, I think that's really innovative. Yeah. So, uh, for example, for the coastal uh, and shore protection, we have a permanent committee headed by uh, the Minister of Water Resources, and they have in uh, the members, the Ministers of Environment and Housing, and also the local authorities, they have bi-monthly meeting to discuss any new uh, request for development, and they have regular meeting. And also, uh, this committee uh, supported uh, by technical committee studying and reviewing all requests before uh, meeting of ministers as a high level. So uh, we have coordination, we have regular meetings, and we have roles for each ministry who should review what, and then they report to the permanent committee headed by the minister and take decision jointly on meetings uh, which already take place on a regular basis. So uh, no project started to be implemented before signature of uh, those committee and those ministers. We have this mechanism uh, in different sectors. So for, this is for shore protection. We have also in Egypt, the higher council for climate change, which is headed by the prime minister. And we have all ministries are uh, members, the ministers who are already related to the climate change. Our minister uh, is uh, a member of the council, minister of agriculture, and others, they are members. So any problem raised to the council, which is made on quarter basis, they have to take action and take decision. And in that area, we have this council is uh, working at an effective basis. And now they are uh, preparing for another vision of the national adaptation plan, which will be a base of uh, the adaptation of the whole country in the next stage. That's fantastic. Yeah, thank you so much um, for, for giving a little bit of context for both of those. So I want to switch uh, just a little bit to wrap up uh, our conversation here, but I, I want to make sure that we talk about um, the upcoming climate conference. So this little mini series that we're doing on Climate Ready is, is really focused on country preparations for COP26 
And then also given Egypt's potential role in COP27, kind of thinking about, you know, before we started recording this, you also mentioned um, some of the work that you're already doing towards COP27 um, as well that we want to let listeners know about. But first, could you maybe uh, share one or two of Egypt's adaptation priorities for COP26? Actually, for COP26, we have adaptation priorities for the water sector, and also we have uh, present and we uh, prepare a lot of uh, activities to be presented. Uh, Egypt started very ambitious plan for canary habitation, which is very, very important initiative to raise uh, and increase the efficiency on uh, the field uh, water use. And also we have another initiative, which is Decent Life, Karima, which uh, is now under implementation to enhance the uh, livelihood of all our colleagues in the rural areas. Uh, also, we are focused on uh, the health sector and how we can protect our livelihood from any dangers in the future. So I guess having the water as a top on our priorities, it's uh, too uh, important for Egypt and it will be on the agenda of COP26. Fantastic. And then could you just mention a little bit about uh, your preparations for COP27 and also Cairo Water Week for next year? We take the initiative as a government to organize Cairo Water Week next year, Cairo Water Week 2022, to be a march and the core of uh, COP27. We'll be sure that the water is the water world should be uh, included in uh, COP uh, in Egypt. So uh, we have this initiative to merge the two big events, which will enable our colleague working in uh, water areas to join COP and also to uh, contribute to formulate the water uh, section in climate actions. So uh, we hope to see uh, each other in COP27 and also to talk about water as a core of the climate adaptation plans. That's so exciting. I mean, we've been working on trying to integrate uh, water into the climate agenda for years, (laughs) so many years. um, That's what we have been working on. And it would be just really fantastic to have it merged in such a way of having the Water Week merged um, with the COP to make sure that both of our climate and water communities are together in the same space because so often that that has not happened. And to have Egypt as a real champion for this work, I think would be incredibly powerful because of all the work you're doing. So I'm very much looking forward to COP26 and and even more now with this news, looking forward to COP27 uh, next year. I just want to thank you, Shukran Gazilan, for joining us today, Dr. Imad, and thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you. Next, we turn to another very special guest who will talk about the national adaptation priorities of her country, Costa Rica, and how they are preparing for the upcoming UN Climate Conference. Cynthia Bartuna is the Vice Minister for Water and Ocean Affairs in the government of Costa Rica and is joining us today from San Jose. Welcome to Climate Ready, Vice Minister. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm more than glad to be here. So I want to kind of dive right in. You know, we talk a lot about 
water and adaptation on this podcast. And so from the perspective of your country, why is it important to include water in climate planning? I think climate change needs to be addressed considering all of its variables. The environmental dimension to strategic decision-making, which are usually identified with policies, strategies, plans, or programs, require to place water at the center to guarantee life on this planet. And as such, we require procedures for improving and implementing these planning instruments. Um, in order to develop and implement these policies and programs, we must seek public and private sectors participation to establish a real climate planning with comprehensive water resource management approach. And we must conduct uh, communities uh, to better understand what actions are needed to create a, a resilient and adaptable management model and mitigation plan. Costa Rica is, as the rest of the world, very vulnerable and will be affected by climate change. The National Meteorological Institute from Costa Rica created a scenario in which reflects what would happen by 2080. And the results are quite preoccupying for us. Temperature will increase to 3.3 and the precipitation will increase around 50% in the Caribbean and will decrease around 65% in the North Zone and the Pacific. So, of course, we do have a, a major concern. Accordingly, Costa Rica aims to be the first modern, green, and decarbonized economy by 2050 through the National Decarbonization Plan and National Adaptation to Climate Change Law, two guides to improve resilience in key areas like infrastructure, productive systems, tourism, water resources, management, of course, biodiversity, and health. Can you talk briefly about maybe one specific adaptation intervention that has these cross or intersectoral elements to it that Costa Rica has implemented? Yes, thank you. We are currently updating the national water policy, which we have built through a participatory and multi-sectoral process based on water governance forms. Civil society, academia, private companies, and state institutions participated in these forums. And together, we're defining Costa Rica's water priorities for the next 10 years. This effort will allow the country to have planning instruments that focus on the required instruments to solve the main problems related to water. And, and hopefully we can consolidate a sustainable national development system that is resilient to climate change and that can ensure social, economic and environmental well-being. So I think our major goal right now is to establish this national water policy and of course, have all the stakeholders be involved in it and participate for this will be our major concern for the next 10 years. So switching specifically to COP26, uh, the upcoming UN climate conference, some of our listeners are of a more technical background and so they may not be as familiar uh, with the COP, although hopefully they're learning a little bit more through this podcast series. But in your mind, what would be one successful outcome for Costa Rica from this year's COP? Costa Rica has been ambitious from the get-go. In every COP we have participated, I see our mission as carrying out high ambition negotiations. And of course, we want to send a, a powerful message that it is possible to have an economic balance together with a sustainable use of resources. And of course, we want to be 
a voice, a, a very ambitious voice through COP26. Fantastic. Yeah, it's, you mentioned your ambitions around nature. And so, of course, I have to also congratulate the Republic of Costa Rica on recently winning the Protect and Restore Nature Earthshot Prize. That's a really great achievement for Costa Rica. So congratulations. Thank you. It was it was quite amazing. And we were very excited. And of course, it, it really implicates that we have to address the oceans, which is what we're going to do through this uh, prize that we won. And we have a, a great responsibility to do to do so and to do it right. Of course, we're we're aiming to projects related to 30 by 30, but we we are ambitious and we, we would like to do so much more. And this prize, of course, gives us that extra shot of energy that we needed, that, ex, that, that extra impulse that we wanted to receive. And it, it's, it's been wonderful since the day they announced that we were candidates. Just being candidates was enormous for us. And winning the prize, of course, has been very important for Costa Rica. Absolutely. And such a wonderful recognition, right, of the work that you and your colleagues have already been doing and showcasing kind of the global leadership that you all are taking. So, yeah, congratulations again. Well, muchas gracias, Vice Minister Barzuna. We really appreciate you taking the time um, to chat with us today and look forward to meeting you uh, in person at COP26 coming up very, very soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And I would love to meet you in COP26, of course. And as our Minister of Environment said uh, when we won the prize, if such a small country can do it, the rest of the world can. So we want to set that example for COP26. And thank you. Thank you for, for your time and for having me. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Dr. Iman and Vice Minister Barzuna. Egypt and Costa Rica are very different countries in so many ways, but it's really inspiring to see the ways in which they are innovating to tackle these complex, multi-sectoral challenges. The administrative changes that Egypt has enacted to ensure coherent water policies across ministries can serve as a model for other countries, certainly including my own. And the leadership that Costa Rica has shown by putting climate change at the heart of their development agenda is truly commendable. I hope you'll stay tuned for our next Climate Ready COP26 episode, which should be coming out soon. In the meantime, stay safe out there, everyone. The Climate Ready podcast is produced by John Matthews of the Alliance for Global Water Adaptation. It is directed and edited by Alex Maroner and Ingrid Tembo.